Well, so like apparently now I don't need to preach because Ed just did it. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> So, we have been working our way through a sermon series, um, as Ed drove home today, entitled Goals. What does it mean to live in full communion? If you haven't been a part of our church before, um, you will notice that the name of our church is the Kingstown Communion. This is not an accident. The name of our church is the Communion, and, and some of, somebody has a shirt on. Will you stand up, Christian, and show somebody our shirt? Turn around. No, on the, but, but thank you. Wow. (laughs) So on the back of our shirts, it says that communion is sharing um, in this meal that we will share in later, but it also says that communion is sharing this intimate life of faith with one another that requires something of us. It requires something of us. And so we're walking through that right now. And last week we talked about what it means to offer our presence. And um, it looks like people did a good job at that this week. (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking, (laughs) y'all. It doesn't look like people did a good job of that this week. That's okay. Next week they can come back. Um, So today we are finding ourselves in that second part, that second part which is offering our treasures to God. Okay? Being a Christian could be simply summed up as this. Being good at changing the subject. Just to make sure you know exactly what I mean by this, let me explain through a pop quiz. I need you to look at this sentence. What is the subject of the sentence? This is a grammar lesson, y'all. This is middle school grammar. I, thank you. What is the verb of this sentence? Love. What is the object of this sentence? You, right? Being a Christian is all about changing the subject or knowing what the subject should be. I, the subject, love, the verb, you, the object, stuck right here in the predicate. I want to make sure you get this straight, though. Because making sure that we get the subject and object right when it comes to practicing this life of full communion, when it comes to practicing giving, when it comes to exercising generosity in our lives and financial stewardship, as Jesus calls it, giving God what belongs to God, We have to get the subject right. And believe it or not, getting the subject right is a matter of life and death. We screw this up. We subvert the subject for the object. And it can lead to all kinds of brokenness, of hardness of heart, cynicism of faith. So to recap, to be clear... I wa- in case you didn't know, I was an English teacher. I never did a s- simple sentence like that. I was teaching high schoolers. Uh, that's real simple. But uh, I was an English teacher, and so just a recap. A subject is who something is about, and an object is who or what something is to. Subject and object, when it comes to the call, to the conversation of giving, we have to get this straight. Because here's the thing, for those people who have learned to offer their treasures before God, to give God even their money in a way that bears fruit, God is the subject of their giving. God becomes the practice of their giving. The practice of exercising our generosity is based on God being the subject. 
God is the subject of their generosity and of their spending and of their giving. If you want to dive into full communion with God, even to the extent of our wallet, we'll have to be good at grammar. Here's the deal, y'all. Y'all are like, this is why nobody showed up, right? Whole lot of sermons Jesus preaches. He doesn't preach on sexuality. We, we wish he did. We wish he gave us an outline in the Bible of how we are to relate to one another sexually, but he didn't. We, we wish that Jesus gave us an outline on how to climb the letter, ladder of success in life, right? But he didn't. The one sermon that Jesus preaches over and over and over again has to do with our money. Did you know that Jesus talks about money more than he talks about love? You thumb through the four Gospels, close your eyes, and you stretch out your finger to a page, chances are your finger is going to land on a passage that has something to do with economics or finances or your money. That's how much he talks about it. And the Gospels are clear. When God took flesh, God decided to take on the subject of our finances, which makes us really nervous and I could drop a pin and hear it right now. It makes us nervous when religious folk talk about money, even if it is Jesus. It makes us nervous because religion has the capacity for manipulation, right? And there seems like there could be all kinds of layers underneath this agenda. And so you add that conversation with money, and frankly, we... We just don't trust it. All of our red flags start going up, and God knows there's, there's been enough examples of religiosity being misused for finances in the past. So we just don't trust it. But Jesus, Jesus keeps forcing the issue. He keeps bringing it up over and over and over again. I, I and so first, I would like to break down a wall today. The whatever wall, I know the wall that's in your heart right now. I'd like to break down the wall um, that you think I'm asking for your money right now. This sermon is not about asking you for your money. It is not. It's about understanding who's the subject of the sentence. All our nerves when it comes to money, though, are like, right, right? I mean, you look at the statistics. You look at the surveys. If all the surveys are correct, money is one of the biggest weights we carry around. Something like 55% of Americans admit to having worried about money every day of their lives. This is a daily worry we carry around with us. Over 70% of Americans admit to having lost sheep, lost sheep, lost sleep, <laughs> lost sleep over some economic decision within the last month. 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And we think that the D.C. metro area might not be really prone to that 70%. Odds are 80% of people who live in these sorts of neighborhoods are living paycheck to paycheck. 
we have stretched ourselves and we carry around this weight, this worry with us all the time. And it happens in my household, so it must be happening in yours. One point two million homes will be foreclosed on this year. To carry that weight everywhere we go is a burden, and we get nervous because of it. We really do, because it hits so close to home. Speaking of home, number one fight in American households is about what? Money. And so people come to church to get away from these fights of money, and they think this place is supposed to be this really lovely place where I get to come and forget about all this stuff. Perhaps Jesus knows that if he's going to be our Prince of Peace, he's going to also have to be the person who offers us financial peace. And so maybe this is why he talks about it so much. He's going to have to lead us in changing the subject of our sentence. And so today's reading in Matthew has everything to do with changing the subject. Jesus is standing in the crowds and they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to catch him in something. And someone tosses him a coin from the crowd. And someone says, okay, tell us then, son of man, should we pay taxes or not? This was a hot-button issue for the Jews. The Jews, in case you didn't know, were funding their own oppression at this time. They were paying Caesar to hold them down. And so they come to Jesus with this catch-22. Do we have to pay taxes? And you know if he says, if he says yes, you should pay taxes, then, then the temple's after him. And if he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, then Caesar's after him. And Jesus, with a, with a coin in hand, instead changes the subject. He says, whose image is on this coin? Who's the subject of this coin? And they say, Caesar. And then he says, whose image is on you? Who's the subject of your life? Give that life to God. It's a conversation about image. It's a conversation about subject. Who are you going to give your life to? Just a few verses later in that chapter, after this eloquent argument is made and it's still lingering in the air, Jesus and his disciples pay a visit to the temple. They decide to take a noonday tour of the temple and they stand in awe of the soaring ceilings and of the big columns and they finally make their way down to the front of the temple and they take their seat on the front row and they just decide, let's just watch. And so they're sitting there and lo and behold, they look up and right up in front of them is the treasury, the offering place. Well, this, this should be interesting. Let's, let's watch. Let's see who puts what where. Let's see who gives what. You feel that? That's awkward. (laughs) And so they watch, and they watch people come forward 
one person after another to make their offering before God, and they start to see this pattern after a while. First of all, everyone is kind of overly religious about it. They walk up, and they're, they're dumping these large amounts of money in the plate, and they're blowing horns, it says, to get, to get God's attention. And of course, you know, and if it happens to get other people's attention, that's just a perk. And some of them have a prayer that they give for everything they drop into the plate over and over again. People just keep waiting as this line of dumping happens. People at the back of the line start peeking around to see who at the front of the line is giving what and why is it taking them so long. And Jesus is sitting there on the front row and he notices a woman about halfway through the line. There's this woman standing there clutching something in her hands. And the line moves slowly forward and the trumpet blows and the prayers are said. And finally this woman gets up to the front and she drops her two cents into the plate. And she's shoved out of the way so that more people can come dumping and more people can come blowing their horns. And Jesus looks over at his disciples mere minutes after having given them this lecture about give God what's God's and says, truly I tell you, this one has given more than anyone else. This like Jesus' words about Caesar's coin as a parable of good grammar. This poor widow becomes our tutor in having good grammar as it relates to our giving. Note that everyone else is dumping their money into the plate in their robes and with their trumpets. Note that nothing has changed when it comes to the subject of their lives, right? They're still the subject, Look how much money I give to God. Look how important I am in my giving. They're still the subject, and God God has become the object to help make them feel better and to, to make their subject matter highlighted. And then the widow, who in her offering makes God the subject of her life, she puts in everything she has, everything, Not to be flashy or showy, but to show a statement that the subject of her life has changed, has been altered in this very moment. She is what she has now. God is what what she has now. And, And it's extravagant for her. And this is the point in the sermon when you're wondering why you came to church today. This All Saints Sunday, if we're going to talk about money instead of saints. (laughs) And I'll be honest, it is hard for me to get up here and preach this. (laughs) Really hard. Jesus talked about it all the time. And he says, you're going to do greater things than me. And I'm like, if that means I'm going to talk about money better than you, Jesus, then like you have picked the wrong person. (laughs) Recently, I was in one of these, like, woe is me moments about having to talk about money (laughs) because it's the least, my least favorite thing that I do. And I was talking about this with Nate, who is our finance chair, who happens to be at Aldersgate this Sunday morning giving a a very lovely presentation about Kingstown in our honor so that you all know. Um, Nate, our finance chair, I was talking to him, and I, I, you know, I'm just doing the whole woe is me thing. I don't like talking about money, Nate. I know you like to do it. I don't like to do it. 
And he said, Michelle, listen. As someone who, who goes to your church, as someone who never feels like I give enough, as someone who doesn't even know how to give enough, Michelle, listen, I, I don't think for one minute that God needs my money. I don't buy it. If you were to tell me God needs my, my money, I would say hogwash. Like, that's BS. I don't believe that for a second. But I sure as hell know that my money needs God. And like that, like Nate becomes my preacher, right? Nate knows exactly what to say. <laughs> and all of our money needs God, right? We all need God. We all need a change of subject in our lives, in our time, in our relationships, in ourselves, in our wallets. We all need a change of subject. Truth be told, this entire series, this whole hashtag goals thing, moving towards full communion is really just this kind of corporate move for us to change the subject in our lives. The whole thing is that. Last week we talked about presence, being present, showing up. Showing up is changing the subject from us to God. This week we're talking about offering our treasures, which means nothing more or less than offering our money. I'm sorry if you want to make up treasures in your head as being something else you can offer God. That's not what it means. Offering our energy. We're going to talk about that next week. What does it mean to offer our time and talents and witness and our enthusiasm and our service? And what does Jesus have to say about this too? So that we make room for God and God's people in our lives and not just room for us and our own families and our own schedules. And then on Friendsgiving, we're going to talk about what it means to offer God our prayers, what it means to pay attention to the things of God so earnestly, so earnestly that our lives know nothing other than what God wants. This series is about changing the subject. And once the God of Jesus Christ becomes the subject of our lives, I, I can't tell you how generosity will just kind of flow forward. It just happens that way. In the Holy Land, there are two bodies of water that kind of bracket Jesus' ministry. You will probably recognize them when I say them. There's the Sea of Galilee to the north, and there's the Dead Sea to the south. In the Sea of Galilee, think like Jesus walking on water, fishermen catching fish, the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life all the way up to today. It's teeming with life. It's said to be the most fertile, one of the most fertile spaces in all the world. A whole industry of fishing and tourism is built around the Sea of Galilee. There are hills of green grass all around, and it's just so lush all around it. It just smells like life, <laughs> fresh air when you're there. About 70 miles south, Towards Jerusalem is the Dead Sea. Not one blade of grass grows on the shoreline of the Dead Sea. Nothing can survive around this place. No life exists in the Dead Sea. No fish, no plant life. The Hebrews call it the killer sea. If anything winds up, it dies. Now both are fed by the exact same source. Both find their water from the River Jordan. 
But what's the difference? The Sea of Galilee has two mouths. One where it receives from the River Jordan and one where it lets the water flow back out. The Dead Sea does not have another mouth. It receives and it stays there and it sits and it breeds and it becomes toxic. The Sea of Galilee has made life the subject of its being and the Dead Sea has made hoarding water the subject of its being. One is alive and one is dead. When the church invites us to practice generosity, to put our treasures where our heart is. It is not a guilt trip to try to get you to put more money into the offering plate. It is an invitation to make the living God the subject of your life. Not just to increase your giving, God wants all of you, every bit of you, whose image is on you, Jesus asks. What kind of car will you buy? What kind of house will you live in? Where do you shop for food and clothes? Everything. God becomes the subject of everything in your life until it just flows out of you. And the saints, what Paul calls that hagias that we talked about a few weeks ago, they get that. A saint is someone, basically, who makes God the subject of their lives, right? Saints, that's the invitation. Make God the subject of your life. Not some object to throw things at where God becomes the object of your sentence to make you feel less guilty, to make you feel bigger. But God as subject. So here's one more pop quiz. Who's the subject of this sentence? Who are the verbs? What's the verb in the sentence? And what's the object? This is a key. This is key for a life of full communion. A life like the Sea of Galilee that is just teeming and vital and overflowing. And I invite you, church, to get swept up in that get swept up in it.